Welcome back, everybody. It's a Monday edition of Daily DVR. My name is Axel. I'm here with Andy and Gina. We're going to be talking about succession with Gina. Then uh, Andy and I are going to talk about Mrs. Davis. Um, after that, the new Damon Lindelof show. Actually, I hadn't asked Gina. Did you watch Mrs. Davis? I haven't started watching okay. it yet. No. All right. So then you're not invited to the second part of the no. podcast. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we're going to, we're leaving you behind, go into the next room to talk about the, uh, China. Um, but you can find out more about us at dvrpodcast.com. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash DVR. We have tons of exclusive pods, ad free and all this different types of stuff. We're also covering rabbit hole with Heath solo. That's me and Heath. And then we're also covering yellow jackets, which had a great episode this week with Andy and Gina and Trey and Heath and Jenny, a whole cast of characters. Uh, so check that out, that stuff out as well. But today, like I said, we're talking about succession. This is season four, episode five what was the name of this episode? Why don't I have this up here? Kill list. Kill list. Yes, that's right. There's a kill list. Did you hear? There's a kill list. There's a well. It's a preliminary list. I heard it's a kill list. Um, what an interesting episode. Um, I guess let's start with the scars guard of it all, because that's really what this was about. Finally, talking about the Gojo. Getting, trying to get the Gojo deal done. Uh, I know you had some thoughts about this uh, this situation there, Gina. Why don't we uh, Why don't we dive right in? What were your thoughts on this episode? I mean, so from the moment the last episode ended and Kendall basically gave the go ahead for the smear campaign on his dead dad, I was like, these motherfuckers. This little shit hasn't learned anything <laughs> at all. He's just like, oh, daddy's dead. I guess my dick grew five inches. Look at it. I'm going to whirl it around. Hence toxic man masculinity. But I knew that this episode was going to be very interesting um, because of that. And I've also had a feeling that Shiv and Matson were going to have something this season. Um, so I was excited to kind of see that happen, but yeah, I mean, it was a great episode. It was the first episode in a long time that I've actually wanted to rewatch and I started rewatching it. I didn't finish rewatching it, but um, no, I thought, I thought this was good. They're, they're going to end strong. I feel so I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I agree. A lot to chat about. Ando, what were some of your thoughts of uh, this uh, next installment of the Roy saga? You know, before we get too deep into this, I was going to bring this up before we started talking, but I'll first start recording, but I'll just do it now. I, I want to propose an offer. I want to buy your entire operation for the price of one single dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I, fuck, I love this episode, too. I, I completely agree with Gina. I think they are going to stick the landing. That's part of what really made me excited is they're that's I just I loved it. I. Nothing in particular that I just that stands out to me. Just the whole episode. I loved some of the stuff that's going on. I am very excited to talk about this one. So, yeah, for me, I have to say one of the things that I really thought was awesome about this episode was the location where they shot it 
it looked amazing, oh. didn't it? Like, ev- oh. like how yeah. about the part when, <laughs> for me, and also I think the best part of the episode was when Kendall is looking out the window and Roman is like, <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, hey, that's you. And then we get the whole camera thing where there's a camera in each room. And it really felt that was such an interesting thing to me because the thing that that just like kind of follows me every time watching this show is that these this family is really obsessed with each other. And even after you can kind of see like dad died. And so like Kendall and Roman are kind of like kind of holding on to each other while not really treating Shiv or Connor that well, kind of pushing them away. And it's just interesting to see that kind of bond. And I, and I think it follows through with what we see with um, Alexander Skarsgård should we hug? I don't know. I don't want to get sued. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. <laughs> what does she say? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Let's hug me and find out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, there was an article that you had on the old, uh, our old Facebook page there, Gina, about his character. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit about how you, how you might feel about that. I think he's playing it the hood and everything and how he like pulls the hood off in front of the boys. It's like they're in a locker room getting ready to talk. You know, I yeah, thought there was a he, lot doesn't of he, stuff. Uh, doesn't he like change shirts one time too? So you can see, I mean, the guy, he's showing off an in intimidation like crazy. Yeah. I don't, sorry, Gina, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um his, so I feel like his toxic masculinity is very different from Kendall Roman and, um, why did I never remember the father's name? Logan. Logan. Um, I feel like it's very different from those guys. And I feel like also he's, he's doing it very intentionally. Like I feel with Kendall and Roman, their toxic masculinity is just baked in at this point. Um, and I feel like Matson's is more like, I'm going to fuck with you and I'm going to have fun doing it. You know, he's, he's a little bit more um, maybe like sadistic about it. Um, they're, they're different. They're different flavors of the same kind of problem. But I think Matson's more, I think he's funnier and I think he's more just waiting to see what the reaction is because he got to have that conversation, the private conversation with their dad. Um, remember when the dad sent Roman away and he's like, mm -hmm. oh, and I want to talk to this guy. And I think he wants to listen. He wants to get to know people. He wants to be heard. And Kendall and Roman aren't capable of that level. Shiv is a Shiv is capable. Um, and I think he's was kind of going into it thinking like, okay, let's see what these guys come in with. Are they going to come in like their dad and actually give me a chance to talk and get to know them? Or are they just going to like be all about business? And I think it was a complete setup for those two. I think he's followed them enough to know their weaknesses. And I think that's why he kind of pulled Shiv aside in the episode to say, maybe this is the last best hope I have in an actual relationship with one of these people. Um, and yeah, so I feel like 
he's he, his masculinity is toxic but he's at least has more of a purpose with business now the sending a ex-girlfriend <laughs> half pints of blood <laughs> This is uh, that's a different level of disturbing. That was going to be my other opening line for this. I was going to tell actually he needs to watch sign for a package and make sure he gets put in the freezer right away. Right. Um, And I also think it's just kind of weird because he was he this actor was in true blood as well. Yes. That's that's a weird tie. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. But is it any I mean, I don't think it's necessarily personally any worse than. Kendall's drug issues and killing that kid, though kind of unintentional, or Roman's dick pics. It's weirder, I and stranger, but I think he hasn't killed anyone, and he hasn't. He's not really. Is he sexual? I don't know. If well, you know, though, there's sexual harassment. There's one of those times there, though, where like Ebba says something to the effect of, "I've taken notes," and I, I, I think there's more stuff there we don't know about yet. Yeah, maybe. But I also think I think the biggest difference besides him seeming to be a little more sadistic, I think he's smarter than Roman and oh, definitely. And that's the biggest difference between him and Roman and Ken is that he is. I mean, Ken to me in this one showed even more like he did early in the season, being being Mister. I'm going to listen to Jay Z and walk in and be the king shit. Well, everybody else is already there, and he's still saying all these stupid buzzwords that don't mean anything. But he's he Ken to me seems even dumber than he has been before, and I just Matson's biggest strength, I think, and. Why he's more dangerous, I think, is because he's so damn smart. Well, and I think Shiv is smarter than both yes. these guys, too. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. That, that, there, are, there could be a scary match, the two of them together. Yes. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to see that go down. I want to see her burn those two to the ground at this point. I'm like, and doing it while pregnant. And I think she's going to, I think the only reason Tom wasn't on that kill list is I think... I don't think she wants to get back together with him, but I think she could potentially use him staying at the company to get the divorce she wants. I assumed that it was that he, she wanted a puppet and she knows she can puppet Tom. Well, that could be too true too. Cause she's kind it, of assembling her own super team. Cause I'm assuming that the whole reason that Jerry and, and uh, Carolina weren't on the list yep. too is cause she handpicked them. So Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, send me a picture of your brother's faces right now. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) This is where this is going. So I'm, yeah, I kind of became team Shiv because I think Roman went off on him and I was just like, you're such a whiny little baby and you know deep down you think you killed your dad by calling him a see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think this episode it's I'm I'm loving listening to you too. It's like I got to listen to the <laughs> podcast and be on it. Um, I uh, I just felt this was such a weird episode. Like the whole when you you got into the whole sending the blood thing, and when he first brings it up, right? Like when she when when they first get there. He plays that whole game with his hood on. He says, oh, you brought the whole team, right? It's just, I'm just, oh, mm-hmm. you, right? At first as though he's playing it like, oh, you're intimidating me. And then he immediately flips it and he's like, oh, you need your team. Well, I'm just me, right? Like It's such, <laughs> it's such basic teenage type. Like if I was in a room and somebody did this to me, I would just stand there. Like I wouldn't know how to react. I would be like, what? 
what's what are you doing dude like what's is this a, like are, is there a camera around like are you playing this for someone this is so weird but there's a whole I world would start laughing I, I know right but there's a whole world where people actually act like this and they think it's yeah. it's tough it's manly or you know like it's just very strange but um I've never I've never seen anything in in real life in my professional experience that's as weird as this, but I have seen guys, executives do power plays and talk shit and, you know, try and, you know, walk the walk. Yes, I've and, definitely, yes, I've seen that and it's, too. And it's just like, okay, you know, um, it's interesting. And I think, yeah. And I, I think Shiv realized when she talked to Matson too that they were on the same level intelligence wise and that she could use him against her brothers. Cause I think immediately at the end of the last episode, she's like, well, they're going to try and cut me out. And that is a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I need to find a way to make sure this doesn't happen. And she knows they're burning the company into the ground, at least can yeah. like already with these, the smear campaign. She's like, has anyone seen these stories that are like, basically yeah, she's way ahead of Ken on that. Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no question. <clears throat> and, and, yeah. and Roman is just really too emotionally in himself to even mm-hmm. understand yeah. that Kendall did that to him. Right? Like you, yeah. dickhead, you were in the room when it was brought up and then it happens. Obviously he gave the go, but he's just Kendall's, Hey, Frank, if you see anybody doing any right. of that stuff, they're cut out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? That was Ro- so weird. But Roman's I did, rudderless yeah, right now. So, he, he can't yes, function. It's he's, sad. He's, it's yeah, kind of, it's really flailing. sad. I'm it surprised is. that he's not, he might, we don't know this, but he might be back to being the dick pickler, right? The, the heat is on. He's got some stress. He's got to relieve that stress. So that puts mm. him in a weird position, right? Like they've all, ha- there's compromising information on all of these powerful dudes, right? And mm-hmm. Shiv kind of knows all of it. And mm-hmm. it took me a second to understand kind of what the fuck was going on. Because in that initial meeting, when he does the whole hug, no hug thing with Shiv, and then he looks at the guys and he's like, okay, let's go talk. And I, I'd only watched it once, but my impression was that both Kendall and Roman looked at Shiv for a second, like she was going to come with them. And she took herself out of that. She looked at them and she's like, whatever, motherfucker. And she kind of walked away. So I was like, what's going on? Because I was like, I don't understand why she took herself out of this. But as the episode progressed, it, it became, I started to think she purposefully walked away after seeing the dick measuring that was going on. She was like, Nothing is going to happen in this. They're just going to bullshit. So I shouldn't waste my time or show my cards to my brother or to him, my brothers uh-huh. or to him. I'm getting myself out of this. She finds out the information. Then the way that he comes to her and it's out uh-huh. of this incessant need that all these men have for, to be legitimized by a woman, right? To be loved, to be seen as... um manly or whatever he begins the conversation with shiv where he just kind of walks up to her and the first fucking thing he does is admit all the crazy shit he's doing with the <laughs> with the other with the marketing with the communications woman what's her name eb 
Ebba. 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 That's yep. the first thing he says to her, right? Yeah. Like he out. He has that. He has that guilty thing where he has to like out himself to another when, uh, woman. When she stepped back there, I figured right away she knew what she was doing because. I get to feel, I mean, she's been with the two brothers before and seen them do all the talking and end up doing something stupid. And then she gets lumped in with them. I think as soon as he came out in that first interaction, she's like, these two guys are going to, my brothers are going to fuck this up. I'm just going to get out of here. I'll wait to talk to him on my own. Exactly. I mean, she knows how to do that stuff. She's been in the political realm and all that. She knows her, she knows her shit. That's where this show, the writing on it. And you, you, that's so interesting that you saw that Andy, because I didn't see it because in part of the reason I didn't see it, and that's another good writing thing, is that like I wanted Shiv to be a part of it, right? Because I thought that that adds the dynamic is interesting, and I wanted to also see how the three of them, how they'd work with him. But then to see the way that it devolves to Roman being like, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> like, he's like, you motherfucker, you made us come here after our dad died. Like you couldn't think, wait one I day. I did think Kieran Culkin was extremely strong oh. this episode. I think it was one of his best performances Amazing. ever. It was, it was akin to me. This was like kind of akin to the too much birthday episode for Kendall when he finally mm, yep. breaks. And I, and I think that this is like him breaking because he keeps saying, like, he's, Kendall, honestly, I don't think gives a fuck that his dad is dead. I think Shiv is working through the loss of mm-hmm. a father rather than her father, right? A parent, especially while being pregnant. They can, they take it in a different way, whereas Roman is like a, a scared child who lost his dad. He's like to, he's defenseless yeah. almost. He lost his daddy. The other yeah. two, it was a parent yeah. or a, a competition in Kendall's eyes. Yeah. I yeah. Think, do you think why? I mean, the one thing, the one, Shiv seems to be in the power position here for sure, but she's obviously hiding her pregnancy even from, I mean, the fake cocaine snorting and the taking the glass of drinking <laughs> and so all that good. stuff. I mean, so what I can't imagine Matt, Matt seems to me, Matson's the kind of guy that would see that as a weakness. Maybe he, I'm wrong, he, but, but he's not noticing it though. Yeah. But at, at some, I mean, there's only so long you can go before, before it's noticeable. That's, for Shiv. I mean, you can only hide yeah. that for so long. Mm, it's a yeah. Good, and she's at 20 weeks. Yeah. Or, it's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, Andy, you're right. Pregnancy has been used to delegitimize women, especially in the workforce. I mean, that's what I'm afraid of happening. I don't want that to happen, but that's that's what I'm afraid might happen. Well, but she's got leverage on him. She knows about the blood shit, the blood packs. Yeah, Yeah. she knows about everything. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. She, like I said, she has compromise on all the strong guys, and I. What I was, I would. I, it made me think a little bit that um, what that Jerry and Shiv, what's their relate? They don't really seem to have a great relationship, but that would that would be an interesting kind of kind of team up. I think they've always gotten along. I mean, that's that. I mean, she Shiv said to Matson, she said Jerry would be good, and so I mean, she gave the her the endorsement too, right? So it's like if they team mm-hmm. up, I mean, they constantly talk about. Let's see. Frank doesn't have too many, um, but Hugo and what's his name? Uh, uh, 
my man from Sledgehammer, Carl. Um, they have, they're always talking about Carl's bullshit with, right? Like yeah. the massage parlors or whatever. Logan well, used to he, say that all the time. I think all those guys were on the kill list though, weren't they? Yep. The only three that they said that weren't were Jerry and Carolina and Tom. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The, and you know, the thing I'm thinking too, is you look around, I mean, and they even talk about it before they get to there. They're like, everyone there is going to be super fit and Olympians and all this stuff. They're not Matson's not going to keep anybody that like those guys that are close to retirement and they're taking the extra dinner roll. And he, I, I got the impression that he's not going to hire those guys anyways. So they're pretty why, much gone. I think. But why do they, this is the thing I don't, I, I, why do they want to stay like for them? They will get like this golden parachute, right? Like it's probably. Well, I think Frank the, wants that. Like I yeah. think I think it's Frank that wants out. One of the one of the older dudes is so, like, I just want out. Let's yep. get let's get this well, done. My my whole thing is I'm pretty sure that especially I think Carl and Frank both they're there because they don't they've got so many stock options and stuff they don't want the boys right. to take the I, take the value of the stock. That's you know what Andy and that's a great point and that's also the point. That made me understand because I was sitting there at a point thinking, why do Roman and Kendall give a fuck what he's going to do with the company? But it's because it's a 50-50 stock cash. So they do, they do, they can claim, even though we know that it's for emotional reasons, they can claim that they don't like him because it's of financial reasons. And in their world, it's okay to say, well, He's going to affect my bottom line, but it's not okay to say, well, he hurt our feelings and he's trying yeah. to be a big dick. So that's why Yeah, because when you're a, <laughs> when you're a public company like that, if you don't, if you do do that kind of thing, like yeah. when they were saying you think you get in trouble with the SEC, they could, because when it's a publicly traded company, there's something to do. If you get that, that kind of offer, you have to, you're a, a you have obligations to your shareholders. Yeah, so you have to present yeah. it. It's like, um, like in real estate or whatever, right? Like you have to present the offer or whatever you have to let them know. I also think it's fear because Matson has a vision for what he wants to do with that. And I think it wasn't they, that bad either. Though, was it Gina? It he's like, turn it to Bloomberg news. Like he's yeah. just like, and you know, he's like, you know, the angry old man audience is tired. You know, it's like, why serve them anymore? And I think both Kendall and Roman, like they were trying to create this thing with the Pierce network and it like their ideas were crappy. Like, yeah, let's, let's focus on news out of Africa, the African continent, oh, well, you know, which <laughs> yeah. is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Kendall, you would read that. Have fun on your own. Um, yeah. Hyper local, um, hyper global. So whatever the hell they call yeah, it. Like yeah. They're both so full of it. Like Shiv has a much better understanding of the media than any of them because of her time in politics. She was even guiding Matson on what he needs to do in terms of kind of like crisis plan for the EBA thing. And, um, you know, I think something came up that one of the presidential candidates had like an inside. He was like in the editorial meetings with with ATN. Yeah. And she's just like, this is mm-hmm. this is bad, guys. Is she's, that- she's like, it's scorched earth now. She's like, yeah, sell it. Get rid of it. It's you know, it's a like you can't have candidates in on editorial meetings with like Fox News. And, you know, I mean, we've seen this go down now, kind of right. Just like with the whole thing with uh 
the Dominion voting stuff. Oh yeah, that's um, right. R.I.P. Tucker. R.I.P. The bow tie. Oh, so, so sad. So so sad. So, so sad. Um, but it's like she she has she's more media savvy than either of these guys are, and she knows you know she knows a dud, and if you know she's probably thinking you know I'm going to be fighting these guys the whole way if we go in three on something, and they're still going to burn it to the ground. So why don't I just like she could go on and get Pierce on her own if she wants, probably. Yeah, it really that was the key to this episode and the weird conversation where. He admits to sending the blood to her and everything, and she's just sitting there like, "Oh, okay." And okay I just kept okay. doing it. Yeah, and it just gets that whole conversation is like a train wreck. It starts bad, and it just keeps getting yeah. worse and worse. And we're just like, "What the hell is wrong with you, dude?" It it, it oh. is it it is a it's a thing though, right? Where oh, yeah. kind of like admitting that, and I wonder if I wonder how far um, she'll take it because. With him, you'd think that it wouldn't be too far until before he wants to turn it to some sexual thing, you know. So, when it, when does it become that? Uh, does 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 the show go there? We also see at the same time that she's kind of cuddling, like she's kind of turned on by Tom pinching her ear you know what i mean to the point like they kind of being, being yeah. jealous yeah they go at but, it and she's getting emotion from him right which is what she kind of always wanted right like a rival within a relationship and then i'm where i wonder where she learned that from and and then the last <laughs> conversation she has with tom it's almost like they're getting back together like she's like do you want to have dinner when we get back to New York or whatever, right? Like she's kind I, of. I, I think that's going to be manipulation, though. I don't think it's about getting back together. I think it's it's about puppeting him. You never it's know, though, him. right? Well, like, it's true. She might set up term. She might set up terms for their marriage of what she wants. Like maybe she does want to, you know, boink blood boy Matson at some point, and she's just like, you know, we can stay married, but I, I get this, that, and the other, like, but they got a kid, which makes me think, is she, she still is a Roy, right? And the, this strange psychology that they live by with power and money and sex and all this crazy shit that has gone on. I don't think she can really understand what she's doing at some times at some points and whether she is going to, I think she's pregnant. That's the father of the child. As far as we know, nothing has been brought up differently yet though. It might, right. It might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We still don't know. I can see her, the attention, the weird attention that she's getting from Matson is actually then transformed into something safer with Tom. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how it goes because though I kind of agree with you, Gina, that I like to see kind of like teams rise up. I don't, and I do think Shiv is smart. I don't exactly think she's shown the ability to handle all these situations either. They're all fucking crazy. So I, I'm interested to see how long that tenuous grip can, you know, and what's going on between her and the brothers can really exist behind the scenes, you know? 
I mean, for all we know, by next episode, they could be uh, saying, you're doing this with him. You know what I mean? Things change so quickly. Yeah. Um, there, one thing I wanted to bring up, which is I rarely recognize the um, call outs that the show does to like weird stories of famous rich people. But the Matson wearing um, noise canceling <laughs> headphones while the he's headphones fucking thing, randoms yeah. is an exact Leo DiCaprio story that came uh-huh. out a couple years yep. ago. Um, yep. That women were complaining that he would put on headphones and like listen to podcasts and just lie there. Um, so I just did want to call out Big Leo for that one. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. So. Well, I think the other one was based on something too. What was the other? Because they said two things. They said that, and there was one other. I don't remember what the other one was, though. Um, it was based on some other crazy famous person. I'm sure the blood thing. sending thing is a real thing, too. I'm sure some. It's like something Musk did or something or some weird shit. I'm sure, somebody did. Yeah. Um, I did. Uh, I, th- I thought for me, the best line of the episode was Hugo. Saying we're snakes on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking laughed my ass off. And the way they got it too, where he was kind of like looking over his shoulder, right? Like almost looking to the cat, we're snakes on a plane. There was a lot of uh, Shiv. I think it was Shiv that called. Was it Shiv or uh, Jerry called them? We're going to see the Nasdaq Master Race. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, there was another really funny. Uh, oh, it wasn't funny, but it was like a. It, it kind of made me cringe. And someone's like, "How come we're going to Norway and not Sweden?" And someone says, "Oh, it doesn't." It doesn't matter that they all. Oh, I have it here. They were, they, I have they it were here. all the same rapers. Yes. Or yes. Tom. Tom said it. He says Norway, Sweden. What's the difference? They're all descended from the same rapists. Yeah, and that's, that that kind of hit me because that's kind of my peoples. But you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. Is, you gotta. If you listen to Dan Carlin, you know that that's the truth. Um, oh. What were some yeah. of the, I had because I had a uh, Vogue had. Uh, Actually, Vogue. Uh, there's something uh, I don't. I have part of the quote. Where we're funnier with subtitles. I think was the funny oh, one. Yes. That- <laughs> yes. what? No, yeah, no, yeah, that was good. That or was this, this network is going to be IKEA to fuck. I oh, thought that was kind of yeah. funny too, and <laughs> just the, there was a lot of funny ones in this one. In this one, the Quad Squad. That was another fun one that oh, I laughed my God, at. Greg, he's just <laughs> such a oh, Greg. Yeah. Your earlobes are thick and chewy like barnacle meat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then well, that was funny when the guy said to, to when he, when Tom when they were all trying to talk to their counterparts, and Tom goes up to that guy and, and the guy goes, "Oh, you're Tom of of Shaban." <laughs> I know. I love that. I was like, that "Yeah, he yeah, is <laughs> um, of Shaban, like Alfred." Yeah, exactly. That is funny. And then when Shiv said to him, uh, deniability is difficult given that she has so much of your blood. <laughs> That's, I, was, I was just going to say that. I had that one written down too. That's a funny one. There's a lot of great lines in this. Yeah. There yeah. Were. This was an interesting episode. And I like the, man, this show really, it took me again. I have to thank you both and many other people who told me to watch this crazy show because 
did take me a while to get into the unsettling nature of watching these rich pricks and laughing. And then also there's like a pain in that laughing too sometimes. Cause you're like, these motherfuckers could be helping so many people. And they're just hurting everyone. Yeah. yeah it's a um, sad, there's a lot of sad. It's, it mean, is. It's a very yep. sad. That's why people, when people say this show is a comedy, I'm like, no, this is definitely, I do not. I, this is definitely a drama and it's a tragedy, but it's yep. funny. And I think the best things have a, like we've talked about lost so many sopranos the what the wire come on what was funnier than the fuck scene of the wire right when they just keep on <laughs> fuck fuck like there's so there's so many amazing she so many amazing things from that show and that show was so profound right so i mean oh mad men was so funny that's one that i always think doesn't get enough credit for being a, a pretty much a comedy in some respects, but yeah, this show is, it does have some amazing lines, but not many, not too many from Roman. Cause Roman really did break down this episode and he was, you know, it's, yeah. he, he, this was his, you, you were right. This is his Emmy episode mm -hmm. and yeah. he deserves it. Cause he really kind of stole the show. And I don't know if you saw the interview with him kind of in the after the episode stuff, but Kieran Calkin said, yes. I didn't even know where I was when we were filming that because I was so focused. He goes, I hadn't looked around and it was only like after we were done and they might've even already gone back down the mountain. <laughs> they said, God, it was so beautiful. Everyone was talking about how beautiful it was up there, up there. And he's like, I didn't even notice. He goes, I was just like so focused on what I had to do. He goes, then I went back up later and I was like, oh yeah, this is really lovely. <laughs> he was, it was a kind of a great little interview afterwards. Who would have thought Kieran Culkin went full method acting, but yeah, it's, well, I, he's, I he's said, taking lessons from his, his full method yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah. From his big brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's got. It's, Can you imagine what an asshole that guy is if he's uh, going through his method acting stuff all the time and playing this douchebag? Oh, oh my man. god, I wouldn't. I would just want to smack him every day if I was in his life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Brian Cox did a few times. It's kind of been alluded to in interviews. Yes. I, you know, I, I mean, whatever he's doing, it works, right? Like everyone mm -hmm. has their own being on set and being or and just being around actors it's it's a such an interesting thing you know having done a little yeah. acting myself i can tell you you do you know it's it, it's a heady thing and well, it i, makes I me, think he's it works yeah. for him because he's so good however it makes me wonder particularly with the drug use of his character and the substance abuse does he then also take that in in real life and once an actor goes that far, then they become an insurance liability to yeah. any production. Or, or you become a um, Keith Ledger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it gets out of their control. Yeah, wow. that's true. But man, the, he and Kendall and Roman were on that gondola at one point. I'm like, please let the cable snap. Please let them <laughs> fall to their death. <laughs> like, I wanted that so bad. I thought it every time they went up in those, especially when they were together, I'm like, oh, will it happen now? Will it happen now? <laughs> I was just like, something. because especially since uh, since Kendall's gone on is like, oh, my cock doubled in size power trip. Oh. <laughs> I, that scared the shit out of me because I am not good with heights. I really, uh, and I could, I even watching something on TV, like when Tom Cruise wants to jump off a fucking building, I'm like, oh God, like my whole body shakes. 
But I, when he grabbed the clipboard and he eventually wrote like 144 on it or whatever, I thought he was going to do the old elevator emergency stop. Thing. <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> and he was just going to stop the gondola and they were going to be like hanging there and, and there. And I was like, please don't do that. And then he gra- and then I was like, oh, thank God. He's just writing on a clipboard. Um, but man, that was beautiful. This show really, the, the, they pull it out with the location shooting. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. o- it's almost like the James Bond of dramedies or something, right? Yeah. Like, it's like they get no- Christopher Nolan's location people to find shit. It's ridiculous. Because yeah, I, I was ready for some James Bond skiing going on in this episode. Yeah, it it's definitely. Really, I, it's amazing yeah. looking like every I mean, yeah. I, and they don't. And the thing that's interesting to me is they show it to you, but you'd think, God, there's got to be some some camera person on that set who is like, ah, God, I wish we, we just did big wide Vista shots on this show. But they 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 don't really do them. They like they do entrances and exits and stuff. Once in a while, you see the big lake and everything. But you, it's just like such a part of what's happening that it would be distracting to do like the Game of Thrones type shots, you know, where mm-hmm. they just spend like a minute sweeping through mountains <laughs> or something, because it's so beautiful. They, I, I can't yeah. say enough how that. And like you, you made a great. Um, point there with that last scene I'm looking at a picture of it right now and I'm like my god could you just imagine that Mm. that's your job for the day like we're gonna go even just shooting there just being a part of this show taking advantage of that and I think in the future I really think this that this show will survive better in people's minds and will be more people will come to this show as time goes on and really embrace. And I think a lot of it is going to be the location shooting. Cause when I look at something specifically like the Sopranos, which was so much of it was shot on sets and it's just very drabbly shot It's like really no style to it. This really has so much style with the handheld and the locations and it's just Oh, man, it really blows you away. They really and knock you, you out. Do you think it's partially also an HBO thing and something they've learned basically? Oh, because yeah. HBO point, did, a, you know, I think they had a big learning cur- uh, curve with Game of Thrones when that came because that was all about locations, right? And I feel like that kind of gave them the thing. And now they're also doing it with White Lotus, right? It's like yep. extravagant resorts. Nice. Good, amazing good locations yep. and so i think you know there's something that this might be kind of a little bit of an hbo signature because it was something that i was thinking as i was watching how amazing it was um on the show last night and like you know they've they're doing this with white lotus too they've done it with the past seasons when they were you know in italy and and everywhere else and mm-hmm. it's like this is becoming kind of more of a, an expectation of certain hbo shows right yeah. and even you know even um somebody somewhere while it's based in kansas they had a lot of like beautiful field oh, shots. Like if you want beautiful you. shots of the show. Midwest, you know, so I feel like it's, it's, it's almost like, even though I'm sure the production teams are all different, I feel like there's some type of like 
vibe now with the HBO-ness of it I think, all. I think there's some kind of mandate to say that we want our TV shows to look like movies because they look like stuff that could be mm. on the big screen. Yeah. That's kind of how I, especially after Game of Thrones and that success, that's kind of how the way I feel because a lot of the stuff could, like those, yeah, even like say on that show with the, the out in the bean field, it looks like a show that you could be on the big screen and it wouldn't look out of place. And yeah. I mean, you make a great point, Gina. First of all, one of the, the, the director who's associated with some of the best episodes, Mark Malloyd, who was a director on Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And I think as when the production goes to so many countries and they learn how to deal with the different customs, the legalities of it, getting, getting fixers in certain areas, being able to hire people, it does open up the world. And I think once you make those connections, you see the same thing in casting, right? How the similar people pop up, like Steven Root pops up in every HBO show now, right? Like, well, the, the guy, the one of the right hand man for uh, Matson with the beard, it was on game of Thrones for a couple episodes. There you go. So, I mean, it, all, yeah, yeah, it becomes incestuous and it opens up this opportunity, but you're absolutely right about that. Cause I think it really, and yeah, oh man. And you mentioned Somebody Somewhere, which had its premiere last night, season mm -hmm. two. Uh, what a beautiful episode of television. Also very good, yes. Mm -hmm. I love that show so much. But yeah, it's. I, I really think that they, they've done, and the, oh, the thing I was thinking about is how it benefits them, that handheld style that they don't there they can shoot something like that on a mountain because they don't have to lay track and try to get this big tracking shot or right or try to do these intricate camera movements like in game of thrones or something they can just go onto a mountain and shoot it and with digital technology and lighting it's so much easier to do stuff like that and make it look amazing that it really opens up. I mean, I often wonder why more shows don't do stuff like that. You're locked to sets and studios. You know, it, it becomes cheaper because everything's there already. But the way that well, they some shoot of those things, I'm sure they amazing. were. I'm sure some of those they were using some high tech drones and stuff like that. I mean, that some of the stuff I could take with my cheap drone, my $800 drone, looks very similar to yeah. some of that stuff. So I yeah. mean, it's. I mean, uh, another show that did a lot of that recently, I know actually didn't finish this, but the last couple of seasons of Ozark had a ton of that kind of oh, those same sweeping shots with, I mean, it was yeah, obviously drone footage. Drone but, shots now. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it reminded me a lot of the, the the stuff in the mountains yesterday. It reminded me a lot of the stuff in Ozark with a lot of, but except it was the lakes or whatever they were, wherever they were. But it was the same kind of thing. I've noticed it in that. That was a show I really noticed it a lot too, especially the later seasons. Production-wise, anyways. Good stuff. All right. Anybody have anything else they want to say about Succession? Gina, do you have anything you want to say before we part ways and Andy and I talk about Mrs. Davis? Just that I'm really excited to see what happens next. I thought this was like one of the best episodes they've had. Um, and it was just, I can't wait to see where it goes because like the knives are out and some people don't know the knives are out. So exciting. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Um, well, actually, you know what I should say before we go, if you have a minute, can we talk for just a few seconds about the somebody somewhere premiere? Yeah. We don't have to talk specifics, but I just want to give it some air because I, I think that that show is so wonderful. And if anyone listening hasn't watched the first season, I want to give out major plot points because I just want people to watch it. But 
what a, a episode about friendship and love and just two people hanging out together and caring for each other. I swear that was probably one of the most be- a beautiful half hour or so of TV that I've seen in years. I absolutely love this show. I, and I, I'm so happy that did you both watch the premiere last night? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I spent two hours watching HBO last night. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love it. And there was something about the beginning of this year and, and, I'm just going to say I was really late coming on to Ted Lasso, but I'm caught up and I just this, the sunflower song and they're in Kansas. And the last episode of Ted Lasso was called sunflowers and he's from Kansas. And I'm like, in a weird way, this is like the perfect companion series to Ted Lasso, like together, really? they, they make something amazing because it's there's there. It's both like you get this like feel of camaraderie and friendship and personal struggles. And while it's a very different, the two shows are different formats, like the ties that bind are that friendship camaraderie, Kansas. And you are a hundred percent right. Gina, I never even put that together. I was just like, it's, it's wild. And they're two very different shows, but also very similar and heartfelt and important in in another way um but yeah i'm i love the show uh somebody somewhere it's just it's it's so good and there are times like i cried last season just because some of the moments were so beautiful and um i'm yeah i can't wait to see kind of where they go with it and hopefully it's longer than six or seven episodes yeah that was was last year was not enough that was my (laughs) only complaint last year was the season was too short i thought it ended too Mm -hmm. quickly but the the thing that I've recommended that to a few people and the, what I tell them it, my favorite thing about the show is it's one of the few shows about just accepting people for who they are and embracing it. And that's a hard, hard thing to pull off because not many shows can do that. And this, this, this show does it better than almost any show I can remember. It's so beautiful, man. And I, and I mean, this isn't a spoiler. I mean, the actor, Mike Haggerty, who played the father on the show died in between the first and second season. And I thought it was so interesting, and this is a mild spoiler, that instead of having him die on the show, which they could have done because it ended with a strange scene where he was last season, where he was just kind of hanging out in the garage, in the the barn, if you remember, that Mm -hmm. it could have done, they could have done, but instead of doing that, she had him kind of realize that he needed to live his life and not kind of be a slave to the, her mom who was having neurological issues and had a stroke and other stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And he just gets to kind of go away and live his best life. And they have a really beautiful scene where she's in that, in that um, barn and she is crying on the phone to Joel and mm-hmm. you know that it's really about the actor, not about yeah. the dad. And I just yeah. thought that that man, I was like, God damn, this is a really classy, loving way of doing what so many stupid movies and TV shows like fast. And this is for the family, <laughs> like kind of bullshit do <laughs> that. They actually honored the guy, right? Like with a scene like that. 
I and didn't realize he had passed away in between the seasons. I that makes either. that scene even. Oh yeah. shit! I'm sorry, more. guys. Yeah. Oh no, that's that's perfectly fine. I'm sure I'm, I'm surprised I didn't hear that. I haven't really read anything about this show besides the little bit we talked about it on a podcast last year. I'm, I haven't really seen anything or read anything about it, yeah. so I didn't. He wasn't wasn't even aware of that. Wow. I will say I do have a barn very similar to that one that they were in, and it looks exactly like when she first opens the door and there's just junk and <laughs> shit piled everywhere, and half of it is like 50 years old and you have no idea what it's for. I have, uh, It's part of why I said one of the reasons I love this show, too, is it's one of the best depictions of rural community living that I've ever seen as well. So another good reason to check it out. But, yeah, anyway, sorry. That. sorry. I've cleaned, <laughs> out, uh, I've cleaned out a couple barns like that. Um not, but I had, I didn't have one at my house. So, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So to me, that was what was so beautiful. I just wanted to kind of shout that it's interesting mm-hmm. that you guys, yeah, I thought that, that I was wondering when the episode comes, like, how are they going to deal with this? Like, is this going to be, cause when it starts out, it starts out with just a beautifully funny friend scene of Joel and Sam just sitting there like, what, what are they? Pass. Yeah, the running scene. Yeah, yeah, where they say, oh, yeah, what is it called again? Pounder Pass. Pounder Pass, yes. <laughs> and it was, that's so, and I, I was like, and then at the end, when he wants to kind of say, I love you, and she's like, I'm running away, I thought, okay, wait a second, did the dad, are we, did the dad die? And then when she's on the phone, and you find out that he just kind of went away to his friends to kind of mm-hmm. live a life on the lake or whatever, right? Like, I was like, this is so beautiful. And then you get that scene where to me, knowing that he had died, I was like, oh, this is so obviously about him. They're not even hiding it. I just thought it worked out great. And the whole, I don't know, the, the, I, I can't, there's, I don't know what else I can say about this show. Cause I'm just going to say how beautiful. And I love that Murray Hill is in it, who was forever in around New York city. And I'd see ads like in every New York newspaper, come down to this show or whatever with Murray Hill. So I think that that's that who plays Fred. Um, that's also cool for me, but everybody go watch this show. I know. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about it? No, that's. I think we covered it pretty nicely in a couple two three Joel minute is amazing. segment. I love yeah. Joel so much. Oh, uh, all right, all right. Well, I guess that's it, Gina. We're going to chat a little bit about Mrs. Davis, so we will bid you adieu. Thank you for coming on as usual. We'll be talking about Yellow Jackets later this week. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Have fun, guys. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Gina. That was awesome. Now let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, as people listening know, um, the way Ando and I met and so many of us met and how Heath and I met and I started podcasting, he started podcasts, we all start listening to podcasts was of course the amazing television show lost co-created by Mr. Damon Lindelof and um, J.J. Abraham's son, and then later Carlton Cuse was brought in to be co-showrunner with Damon, but it's Damon's show, Lost. People who know, know Lost is Damon. And then he did The Amazing Leftovers, which was beautiful and sad and sublime and intelligent and deep and just soulful. I mean, I amazed, one of the best shows ever. Then he followed that up with the also fantastic single season of Watchmen, which was all those things as well. Now has returned with a show on Peacock 
called Mrs. Davis. Um, now we should say, um, Damon is not the showrunner of this show. It was created by Damon with Tara Hernandez, who was a writer for Big Bang Theory, I believe, was... Um, was it I, Big Bang Theory? I, I want to say like Young Sheldon or something. Okay, maybe Maybe both, both of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to click on the old IMDb right here for Tara Hernandez so I can bring up what else she has done. <laughs> Big Bang that- Theory, Young. she did both of them. Okay. Right? She also did a show, Henry Danger which I think was on like Nickelodeon or something. Yeah. That's a, isn't that a cartoon? Uh, I think, so. I don't know. I think, it, oh, wait, was it a live action? No, it was a live. Oh, actually Lachlan okay. used to love this dumb show. Yeah. It was with the dad and the kid. Uh, yeah. 13 oh, year old. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. This was good. Dan Schneider created. He it was one of okay. the many Nickelodeon Dan Schneider yep. created shows. He doesn't have such a good rep anymore, but anyway, it's no, not, <laughs> um, <laughs> This show was uh, co-created by Tara Hernandez and Damon. Tara Hernandez, I believe, is the showrunner. Damon Lindelof has written some of the episodes, including the first episode. Um, But it is kind of a departure. It's much zanier, um, stranger from the outset, kind of creating you know how many shows these days create their own universe right it has elements i think of some sci-fi stuff you've seen before some superhero genre type stuff in that it creates this own world um it's it claims to be uh uh this is the log line sister simone sister as in none partners with her ex-boyfriend Wiley on a globe-spanning journey to destroy Mrs. Davis, a powerful artificial intelligence. Also involved in this is the hunt for the Holy Grail. Um, I have some things to say. We watched the first two episodes. The first four of eight already dropped on Peacock, so it's only like a five-week time period that all eight episodes will drop right because they already dropped half Mm -hmm. of them um well i guess yeah well i guess i call it five weeks because you have like kind of the week after i always consider that right but anyway what did you think andy after all that long intro (laughs) i you know i don't know i like anything Lindelof. i am gonna watch because i've loved almost everything he makes even the stuff that he hasn't doesn't have the best track record I enjoy, Prometheus or Cowboys and Aliens even that he had a hand in. I still enjoy elements of all those things, so I was very excited. And this show, I I think you had even said something like this on the Facebook page. I'm not sure how much I like it or not like it. I'm going to keep watching, but you're right. It is – it's crazy. I mean, the first five minutes alone – has like Tarantino level violence and stuff like that, that I'm like, what is going on here? It's like three decapitations. Yeah. And blood spraying everywhere. And just, I mean, the whole thing isn't like that, but then there's other things like, like what you said about creating the world is very much, it's definitely more of a world than the other Lindelof things that he's done. Like it, like a specific world, I should say, because like besides, besides like uh, Tarantino, a lot, a lot of it, well, a lot of it felt like, I don't remember if you ever watched the whole thing that that show that uh, I think it was Carrie Fukunaga did Maniac with Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. 
Uh, well, back on like Netflix, two episodes of that show. It that has I a thought. lot of that yeah. feel. Sometimes it has a feel of a Coen Brothers thing. Sometimes it reminds Ooh, me a lot of nice. the Kingsman movie. Yes, or Coen's. or um, Edgar Wright. A lot of Edgar Wright vibes mm-hmm. to it too. Of just this over the top. People are having fun, and sometimes it goes from like ultra serious to just slapsticky at times. And yes, I don't. I just. I've, I don't know where the hell it's going. Not that I need to know where it's going. I enjoy shows where I don't know where it's going, but I don't, I really honestly don't know how well I like it yet or not. I mean, it's got some of the signature Lindelof. I mean, the second episode has a lot of daddy issues. I mean, that's a hallmark of Damon Lindelof stuff. So (laughs) there's obviously, and he didn't write that episode, which is even crazier. So it's, I don't know. It's, I'm, what are your, I mean, and there's, that cast is good. Like, uh, some people show up in it that I was like, I didn't know this person was in this, and I don't know if that person's coming back or if it was just a one-episode. She plays one of the nuns. I won't give it away because it's a nice surprise when any TV watchers will know who it is. But, I mean, I like Betty Gilpin. I loved her in Blow – or not Blow, Glow, <laughs> the mm-hmm. wrestling movie show that she was in, and she's good. So I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I just don't know – I don't know what's – I don't know. What do you think? Well – Andy, my reaction is very similar to yours. Um, I like I like the cast. Um, I'm a fan of Jake McDormand going all the way back to that ABC Family College show. What was it called? Uh, he was on that for a while. Uh, Greek. He played Evan oh. Chambers on Greek for 74 episodes, which was actually, his lo- I think, his longest-running stint. Um, so I've loved that dude since then, and I've kind of tried to jump in. I, if I see he's in something, he actually was in one episode of Watchmen. Um, but What did he do in Watchmen? I, I don't really recognize him because most of his stuff, I, did, I see now he's in, as soon as I see his character in What We Do in the Shadows, now I know who he is, yeah. but... I didn't. I had to look him up here as I don't. What did he do in Watchmen? Do you remember? I don't remember. Small. I don't even remember. I, I may have mentioned it while we were covering Watchmen, which you can find. Oh, here we go. Nelson Gardner slash Captain Metropolis. So he, oh, he, okay. he, I think that was one of the flashback things in there, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah, I like him. I like Damon. Not a fan at all of Big Bang Theory or um, no. a, a Young Sheldon. Never liked any of that stuff. Yep. So I, I can't, I'm exactly the same as you there. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, Tara Hernandez, who is that? What has she done before? Oh, okay. Not stuff I'm really into, but that's okay. I'm not going to judge writers right. You know what I'm saying? So this is something now that's hers, right? Let's see what the, what what this brings us definitely this world this quirky cohen-esque it feels like so many shows we've seen now whether and a lot of it it makes me think of a lot of the super like peacemaker or oh um, yeah it, uh, it reminds me a whole lot of the umbrella academy that oh, yeah, kind definitely. of like quirky smartness, right? Like yep. we're too cool for school kind of That's thing. That's like I was saying. Like it's like that very specific weirdness thing. Yes. And it's, it's very, the way it's shot too is very clean. There, it's it's not it. There's not like handheld style. Like it's like you're watching something, you know. Just mm-hmm. the way that it's framed, the way everyone is made up, the way people's outfits and makeup look, it's very polished looking. Um, 
as far as the story goes, I think it's an interesting idea that we find out that, and this is slight spoilers, but the show is so crazy. We're not really spoiling anything. Yeah. You know, you kind of see like flashbacks of how she meets Wiley and, you know, her parents were like magicians and she starts out and she's hunting down rogue magicians through this mysterious bar that she goes to and a guy gives it's just her, as everybody that's listening is just as crazy as actual describing yeah, it. If this it sounds insane, it is insane. I'm trying to make it sound a little bit insaner, but so she <laughs> she's a nun that lives on this farm where they where they Uh, make jam and jelly to subsist she loves it but she's also like secretly married to a guy at a bar who there's a back room and she gets hit jobs but it's on magicians but then when we see one of these uh, that's not really a hit it's like she outs bad magicians who are scamming people yeah but exposes she, them yeah she yeah. exposes them but when she does it in the beginning their reaction is just to be like we're magicians and mm-hmm. it's just very strange but then again we see flashbacks to like um uh the knights templars and they're cutting heads off and all this well, yeah it begins in the 1300s yes like the first 10 minutes or so is in the 1300s Which i loved like, i wanted yeah. more of that but I just, I'm going to stick with it um, and I'm going to try to kind of appreciate where it's coming from. But I will say this, my um, patience with quirky world building is kind of at its lowest maybe ever. And there's just so much of it that it's, it's putting it's a little bit i don't know if this happened to you andy but it is putting me off a little bit like there's some there were quite a few times especially in the second episode where i kind of felt like wah 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 like okay i get it this is a quirky world where she's a nun you know like i kind of feel like get to the fucking shit of the ai and all that i've I accidentally have seen part of the third episode and the quirky world building keeps going. I mean, it gets quirkier and weirder and I don't, I mean, maybe I like it and see the thing, the thing that I keep thinking (laughs) is where I'm not ready to give up on it for one thing is I can't see Damon attaching himself to something unless there's a reason why. (laughs) Andy, I was going to say that every review I've read, because I only like to read reviews after I've freaking watched something. So I watched first. I said, I'm going to look at some reviews now for the first couple episodes. And the couple on podcasts that I heard said the exact same thing. They were like, well, granted, this comes from Damon Lindelof. So I have to admit that I either either love the guy or you have this undying you have you hate him or you or you have like this undying love for him. He's kind of become like what he writes about, right? Which happens often with writers, I think, where it's like this faith versus like this reason oh, versus yeah. science or faith yep, versus reason. For sure. Like my reason tells me this is just not a great show and it doesn't work at the same deeper levels the quirkiness is obscuring the expression of some truth here is this actually saying something about a nun she is a nun that is a charged and powerful representation 
And I think for many people, it's not a good representation, right? Yeah. It has it goes both ways. For many people, they might love, oh, she's a nun. For other people, they're like, okay, not not so great. I think that's but that's the kind of audience Damon has grown. Like he's doing that on purpose, right? Like almost everything he's done has centered around like religion and faith and the difference between ceremony and this, you know, so it's interesting stuff. But so far the review that I most agree with is Dan Feinberg, who has a great podcast, the five, right. That I love listening mm -hmm. to where he said, it just doesn't seem to have the same depth that, so that other, that Damon has gone weird ways to get to depth and meaning and understanding. And this just doesn't seem to have it. Yeah, at least so far, like especially compared to Watchmen or Leftovers, it doesn't have that. Doesn't seem to have that depth yet. I'm part of me is wondering though if some of the quirkiness is just covering that for a that's little while to get I'm, to the yes, real depth. That's what I yes, Andy, and because we'll, like, and it, does the show acknowledge that? And we, I mean, we just kind of barely glossed over when we started talking about it. But there's still the thing. I mean, you don't introduce the Holy Grail into a story unless it's, I mean, unless you're Monty Python, you don't have the Holy Grail there without that being a major plot point. And the AI thing that we haven't even talked about, like she talks to an AI that basically this algorithm that basically runs the world. I mean, those are huge concepts that have barely been touched on in the first two episodes, really. So I, I, I just, I have faith that there's going to be more, more to this, more meat on the bone when we get there. I just don't have any idea how that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it the, I'm going to give it a shot though. And, and I'm going to be totally honest. It's because of Damon. I love yeah. you, bro. I'm going to watch the other six episodes of this show. Even though after, if this was anybody else, I would have been out after episode one and I may yep. have not made it through the first episode. Totally honest here. If other people had told me like you, Andy, Hey, I watch it. It's good. I would have tried to gone back and watch it again. But I'm going to do it because of Damon. But I do. I need that cloud to lift. And I need the show to acknowledge that this zaniness is there to obscure loss, depression, anxiety, you know, love, misunderstanding, some kind of depth of character, of emotion that makes me care. Because the image of the nun on the bike and the guy, it looks cool, but without meaning behind it i just it's not cool enough and that's that's kind of what i think like that's part of what i wonder if, that, if that's what damon why he wanted to do this because that's the kind of thing that can draw people in yeah like oh there's a nun on a motorcycle i'm gonna check that out and then hidden in like it's basically like hiding the vegetables inside the candy yeah. sandwich or something kind it's of a provocative thing. he he is in that sense he is a provocateur he did it with lost how many mm -hmm. of us argue like discussed and it brought people together we were able to discuss atheists and believers would be on the same podcast talking about yep. it right yep. and that's what he wanted and that's why i mean he's a jersey boy what can i say you know we're good like that <laughs> um andy now, I know you got to get going, but I picked up my phone while we were talking to see what time it was, and something has happened that I think this is an around-the-couch moment here. 
if you will, if you will give me five minutes to tell you that Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets, whoa, officially, according to Adam Schefter, this came through about twenty minutes ago, so it's one forty um, Pacific time. Uh, Trade compensation per sources. I'm going to not read it like it's written, but what actually happened. So I just heard this on a podcast that this was a possibility and it (laughs) came through. So the Jets and the Packers are going to swap first round picks. So the Jets get number pick 13, get pick 15. The Packers get pick 13 in the first round, right? So it's. So they move up two spots this year. They move up two spots which is equivalent, I heard, to a fifth-round pick, okay? Okay, yep, the the trade value thing, yeah. Yep, and uh, the Jets get, uh, the the Packers get a sixth-round pick in this draft, the Jets' sixth round, and this is the big deal, a conditional second-round pick for next year that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays this year. I'd say that's a pretty good trade for the Jets. It's worth the risk. What do you think? You're the Jets fan here. I'm literally reading it out live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen this either until you said something. I, that's a little depressing to me, okay? Because... Well, the Jets do get a two. So the Jets get a fifth round pick in this draft. Okay. So for just this year, it's they swap first round. So it's 13 and 15. And then they swap fifth and sixth. So the Jets get the Packers fifth round and the Packers get the Jets sixth round. So basically it's a wash for this year. For me, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I don't think oh, that this that, this thing I'm looking at too says also the Packers also get a 2023 second round pick. The conditional is 2024 second round pick. Oh, you're right. Wait, a con, pick number 13, a 2020. Oh, because I wait. No, this is 2023. Yeah. So that they get this, the, they swap first round picks this year. Oh, you're right. Oh, the Jets this, no. give up a second round pick. Come on. Wait a second. So we're swapping the picks. We're swapping the fifth and sixth, but we're also giving away our second round pick. Yep. Which I don't know how many we have. I say we, but as I talk about the Jets, <laughs> that's okay. I've been a fan for almost 50 fucking years. I think you can, I think you we can, can say you we. can claim them. Yeah. Okay. That's a little distressing to me. That's a lot. The Packers. Okay. Well, you know what though? They they didn't give up. They didn't have to give up a uh, a first round pick without getting another one back. I mean, that's the the trading down two spots. They they're hanging on to a first round pick at least. I mean, I yeah. I had heard the Packers weren't going to want didn't want any more. They didn't want any less than a first round pick. Oh my god, this is too much, man. This is too much. The second round pick is too much. And the conditional first for 60. Of course, he's going to play 65%. They should have to win the fucking. He should have to win the fucking Super Bowl for them to to be a first. I think 
this is the tweet from Schefter is a little unclear, but is the 24 second round pick though conditional if he plays 65% next year, like the season after this year? No, because to the 2024 draft is next year's draft. So it would have yeah, to I know, be this but, year. But what I, oh, I suppose that, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. What am it I would have to about? be the 2023 season. Well, this will make. How about this might make you feel a little bit better. Should you call call him and say cancel it? Let's stick with Zach. Uh, yeah, no, that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> Thank you for putting that into perspective, Ando. Ando calms say, I mean, me down. It's a it's a um, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Even at fifty percent, he's going to be light years ahead of Zach Wilson. Ah, uh, I know, but this is just. This is what annoys me about the Jets, man. I know we're going to talk about this. We're going to do an around-the-couch draft. We're going to talk about the draft and the offseason, and we'll talk more about this deal. But my initial reaction right now is that if they had swapped first-rounders, swapped fifth and sixth, and then a conditional second round next uh now, see, it's if it's a conditional second round that becomes a first, what's it conditional on? A second uh, round that and it can because that, I don't understand why it's called a conditional second round. Is there conditions that must be met to achieve that second round and then further conditions that make it a first rounder? Or is it a second round pick with a conditional second first rounder to become that? You understand a what I'm saying? A conditional second round pick that becomes a first. Yeah, if Rogers if he, plays sixty five percent. Yeah. So, what are the conditions? Just, I think it's a second round pick, no matter what, and yes. it's conditionally can be a first pick that's if what he I plays think too. And that's re- that. So basically, that means that what we're giving up for Aaron Rodgers is a second rounder and a first yes, rounder. Yes, is a second rounder and a conditional first, which pisses me off because I think that they could have. That's annoying, man. That's that, a, that, that could, does seem a little stiff because I mean a second round pick is basically like a first round pick. I, I mean, in my eyes, first and second round picks really isn't that much difference. Oh man! And you give I up mean, two of those. That's he is a quarter. The rules are different for quarterbacks because I was going to say, you know, who that first round pick could have been? That first round pick could have been Brees. That first round pick could have been Sauce Gardner, right? Could have been also could have been Wilson. Zach Wilson. Or it could yeah. have been Zach Wilson, or it could have been the plethora of other Jets picks that. And have I mean, faded even away. though he's even though he's quite a bit older, it's a way less than what Deshaun Watson went for. I mean, they gave up a whole robbery of for him. So yeah, but we still have to pay Aaron Rodgers the huge contract bonus that the but you also, that they did last year. I mean, if I was you, you can't get I, – I could never get mad if they win it all in because with their defense, I mean, how many times over the course of the last season did we all say if they just had a quarterback, this team would have been 13-3 and three or 14-2? and two? I mean, they're, they're, Brees Hall should be back. There's their wide receiver. Imagine how good Garrett Wilson is going to be with Aaron Rodgers. I, I, uh, you know, man, listen – for all my complaints <laughs> off field and making fun of Aaron Rodgers, he is still like top five all time, f- most fun and awesome QBs in NFL, my NFL history to me. And I love the dude as a player. So if he can be motivated and come back 
this season and really play. Uh, I mean, I saw some pictures of him out there practicing with Lazard already. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me happy. Um, so, I mean, you, you bring up some good points there. When, you know, the like the grass is always greener kind of points, right? Yeah. And I think that um, I, I don't – I just – I don't know. I just <laughs> well, just you being a like Jets a fan and me being a Vikings fan, we know how bad it is to suck. You got to grab onto any little shred of hope you have. I, exactly. <laughs> that's that's my theory on that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I'm trying to look online. I, I and I I'm, I talk about other bad things and going to Twitter to check this out, but I gotta see what some of the what some of the Jets folks are saying about this trade but i just think that's a lot to give up man i don't know if i'm alone on this you're probably not but if he gets to a super bowl i'd I'd trade two or three first round picks for a super bowl oh man let's see let's see what uh oh now okay well what what am i talking about here we go it's Twitter, so people are already arguing about whether he's going to disrespect Joe Namath by wearing number 12. On my feed, trending is hashtag Jets Twitter. Oh, man. Well, you know what? We'll have a lot to talk about <laughs> yeah. when we talk on Around the Couch. But my initial reaction is I'll be watching every game like I always have been for the past freaking 38 years. And... um well, and it wouldn't you know. be around the couch if it part, a good check of the episode wasn't actual therapy from the rest of us. So, uh, it's just as, <laughs> this is it'll fit right in. This is a, a a lot. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see. <laughs> now I'm looking. A lot of people saying that's a lot to give up. So I'm not. I, I do. I still think. Damn. I just. You know what? That extra second rounder is fucking me up. You know what I'm saying? That's that's a lot, man. He's yeah. 40 years old. Yeah, that's the tough one. He did not play good last year. He didn't have any he didn't throw for over 300 yards in any game last year. Yep. Well, None. he also didn't have Devonte last year. I mean, <sighs> well, I mean, you know what? Hey, if Brees, they're saying Brees is going to be back day 1, baby. Yep. So, if if we start if our starting lineup is Freaking Brees, Garrett Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. That's our trifecta. I'm ready to go. That could be. I was going to say, that's a pretty pretty solid one, two, three. And at least I have the solace of having drafted Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. Because as all fans do, you always love the players that you draft more than the players you get in a trade or free agency. Of course. Always. They're they're the OGs, you know? You yep. gotta go with the OG. So all right. We'll chat about this later. That was breaking news. Wow, this has been a great pot. It's Andy, this has been so fun talking to you on Mondays. Yes. Yes. This is you're the best, pal. So are you. <laughs> this is awesome. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks everyone for listening. DVRpodcast.com. Thanks for all the patrons. Heath and I are going to be talking about Rabbit Hole on Wednesday, and we'll talk about Yellow Jackets at some point this week as well, though that's gone for two weeks now, we, right? We have a two-week break, I think? Uh, yeah, I think it comes back on May May 5th or yeah, May 6th, May, something May like that, 5th. May 7th. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. 
All right, everybody. Peace out. Take care, Ando. See you later. <laughs>